This is The Guardian. Today, what would Rishi Sunak's plan to stop the boats actually achieve? Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. People must know that if they come here illegally, it will result in their detention and swift removal. Once this happens, and they know it will happen, they will not come and the boats will stop. Rishi Sunak isn't the first Conservative Prime Minister to make a pledge like this. In the past four years, Tory governments have proposed more than 40 schemes to send home the people who are crossing the Channel, many of them in flimsy rubber boats. We need to make sure that the appalling people traffickers don't succeed in bringing small boats across the English Channel. We're very clear that everyone who enters the UK illegally um, will be considered um, for um, resettlement and being brought over to Rwanda. I would love to be having a, a front page of the Telegraph yeah. with a, fly, a plane taking off to Rwanda. That's my dream. Just last year, the government passed a new law on immigration called the Nationality and Borders Act. The headline idea of that was for them to send people to Rwanda on a one-way ticket while their asylum claims are decided upon. It's faced huge legal challenges, and more than a year after its introduction, no one has been sent to Rwanda. Even Sunak and Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, admit it's not working yet. In the face of today's global migration crisis, yesterday's laws are simply not fit for purpose. And so they're proposing a new law, one that's even more draconian than the last, that would mean anyone who's come to the UK illegally would be deported within 28 days, blocked from coming back or ever claiming British citizenship. We will detain those who come here illegally and then remove them in weeks, either to their own country if it is safe to do so, or to a safe third country like Rwanda. And once you are removed, you will be banned, as you are in America and Australia, from ever re-entering our country. It's far from a done deal. Sunak knows that he'll need the support of the French government to make this work, and he's in Paris today to meet their president, Macron. Whether he'll get the law passed in the UK parliament is questionable. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, Sunak's controversial immigration plan and the alternatives he's not talking about. Sunda Katwala, you're the director of British Future, which is a think tank that, among other things, analyzes government policy on immigration. 
So please can you tell me first, in basic terms, what is the new law that Rishi Sunak is proposing? He's talking about how he's going to change the asylum rules so he could stop boats coming across the channel. And since I've had this job, I've spent a lot of time thinking long and hard about how to solve this problem. And I'm confident that the bill we're introducing today will help us do that. The main feature of the illegal migration bill is to give the Home Secretary a duty to remove people who come from a safe country in Europe, if she can do so. And this, Mr Speaker, is the crucial point of this bill. They will not stop coming here until the world knows that if you enter Britain illegally, you will be detained and swiftly removed. Removed back to your country if it's safe, or to a safe country, a safe third country like Rwanda. And that is precisely what this bill will If you are removed from the UK, then you wouldn't be able to return ever or ever get a settlement or citizenship. But that relies on them having removed you in the first place. And then there's uh, one slightly softer strand of what the government is proposing, which is they are saying that the Home Secretary should set out every year a number of people which the UK is willing to take through legal routes to come and settle in the UK as asylum or refugee claims, and that they will consult with local authorities and others and come up with a number every year. Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, laid out this policy in the House of Commons on Tuesday. No half measures. The Illegal Migration Bill will fulfil that promise. What did she say about why the government believes it's needed? I think the government's very confident about its political messages and its principles about what should happen. And so what they're saying is you shouldn't be able to decide to come on a boat if you haven't been invited or got permission. If you do, we will detain you, we will remove you. That would be right because it wouldn't be fair to other people who'd come through legal routes. We've seen a 500... We've seen a 500% increase in small boats crossings in two years. And this, Mr Speaker, is... There's some quite over-the-top rhetoric being used. So the problem said 100 million people could come to Britain if we don't do this. Let's be honest. There are 100 million people around the world who could qualify for protection under our current laws. Let's be clear. They are coming here. There are 90 million people displaced people on the planet, 50 million of them in their own countries, many of them in developing countries. So this sense that there's sort of an infinite group of people coming to Britain if you don't do this, and therefore this is the only way to do it. That's the political messaging. The number of people coming to the UK on small boats has been increasing drastically. You know, as Suella Braverman and others noted, 45,000 people came to the UK via channel crossings last year, which is up from 300 in 2018. Why has the number of people travelling in that way gone up so much? Yes, this was a very, very small thing three or four years ago, it barely existed. We then saw people who'd been claiming asylum through other means, you know, maybe coming on the Eurostar or coming through lorries. The reason the boats rose during the pandemic was that ways that people would have come before from these countries, um, 
on the Eurostar, maybe in lorries, maybe clandestinely, but less visibly, stopped and this started. And since then, it's become a sort of established and institutionalised route. A dangerous and sometimes fatal journey in the, in the, in the wild hope that they will lead to a, a better life. I think everybody can agree that it's nobody's idea of a well-managed asylum system for people to make these dangerous journeys across the channel. There's the risks of people involved. The debate in the Commons on Tuesday got very fiery. Just tell me about which of the criticisms that opposition MPs put forward. Which of those really struck you? The opposition is saying, um, you've said this before and it didn't work. And so just passing more laws and making more noise isn't a solution to the problem. Enough is enough. We can't afford any more of this slogans and not solutions. Just government by gimmick, ramping up the rhetoric on refugees, but picking fights simply to have someone else to blame when things go wrong. This bill isn't a solution. It is a con that risks making the chaos worse. Britain deserves better than this chaos. Britain is better than this. From the government's backbenchers, people are saying, but will it really work? Will you be able to do it? Won't the court stop you if you're still in the European Convention of Human Rights? And that's a debate within government itself. They've said we're pushing at the boundaries of the European Convention on Human Rights. The Prime Minister is absolutely committed to staying in the European Convention on Human Rights. It would wreck his new agreements with Europe. That would wreck his relationship with the President of the United States of America, who thinks that's a very important part of the Good Friday Agreement. The Home Secretary, it's no secret, doesn't want to be in the European Convention and has to swallow that policy and try to make it work. So we've got a kind of compromise between talking about pushing at the boundaries and saying this might not even be compatible with that law, but we're going to go to court and defend our position. So you can see they're setting up for a fight. Stopping the boats, Mr Speaker, stopping the boats is not just my priority. It is the people's priority. And as well as the criticism about the unworkability of this policy, there were a lot of ethical issues that opposition MPs were bringing up. As the child of migrants, can I assure the Home Secretary how much I deplore her seeking to smear migrants as a whole as criminals and rapists? And can I also assure the House that I will never vote for legislation that would have led to my parents being detained and dumped in Rwanda? The big point where principle and practice meet is in these countries where a lot of people have come from and they're not going to be sent anywhere this year or probably next year because there's no deal with France and the Rwanda scheme doesn't exist yet and won't exist until Christmas. If we're not able to send you anywhere, should we be saying, well, we're not going to take your asylum claim anyway, even though vast majority of cases here, it will be a valid asylum claim. That's a clear breach of the Refugee Convention, uh, certainly, to say we can refuse a claim and not send you anywhere and just leave you there and do nothing with you and leave you in limbo. We believe that all who seek asylum and seek refugee status deserve a fair hearing and we are 100% behind the clear statement from the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees that there is no such thing as an illegal asylum seeker. Clearly Britain has an obligation as a member of the Refugee Convention not to do that. Now the Refugee Convention isn't particularly enforceable 
in law, whereas the European Convention on Human Rights is. And so the interaction between those two points will be important. But if somebody is a refugee, claims asylum, and we say we're not interested because you've been in France, but France doesn't want you, we haven't got a deal yet with Rwanda, we're just going to leave you there and hope that puts other people off. That is an argument against in principle and in practice, I think. The moral arguments against this proposed law are clear and they're being made not only by opposition MPs but also some faith leaders and celebrities. I'm sure people will have heard that Gary Lineker has had to explain to the BBC, his employers, why he tweeted comparing the language that the government had used to that used by Germany in the 1930s. Why does Rishi Sunak seem so keen to bring the law in now? How does it fit into the promises he made when he became Prime Minister? There are five Rishi Sunak pledges, and the other ones are rather gradual pledges designed to be things you can meet. So he's going to halve the inflation rate, reduce the waiting list, bring a bit of growth back. They're gradual things designed to uh, be meetable. And the asylum pledge is completely different. I will stop all of the boats. And the Home Secretary stood up and said, if you come, you will be detained, you will be removed within weeks. That's what the Prime Minister promised. This bill will do that. It's all going to work. And there's a 99% chance that isn't going to happen this year or next year for people who aren't Albanian or from a country you can return people to. So it's a In the short term, it's cheered up people who want to see the government getting tougher. There are big risks, I think, to making very clear promises that we'll stop the boats and if we don't, we failed um, 18 months for an election because you might find those words, those video clips are in the election campaign, but it'll perhaps be the Labour Party or Nigel Farage or other parties who are using those clips and saying it didn't work. So shouting about boats and how you don't like lawyers and Keir Starmer. He voted against measures to deport foreign criminals, Mr Speaker, and he even argued against deportation flights. Well, and we know why, because on this matter, he talked about his legal background. He's just another lefty lawyer standing in our way. Might not be very convincing if you were the government and you didn't fix it, but the political consideration is that he needs to show he's on the front foot of this issue. It's a big gamble. Well, it is a huge pledge and Rishi Sunak is far from the first Conservative leader to have made one like this. Conservative governments have brought in dozens of initiatives and and six new bills aimed at stopping people entering the UK since 2015. Last year, they brought in the Nationality and Borders Act. And this bill is critical to delivering that new fair but firm system. It is also central to our new plan for immigration. How does this new proposed law build upon that? For most people who cross the channel, I think this is repeating for the third time a power that the government had on Brexit Day, which is to say we we don't think we want to take your claim. We've been giving people notices saying we think you should be inadmissible, given 20,000 people those notices in the last um, uh, 18 months. Um, 20 of those people have been removed and most of them have been admitted to the asylum system. Let's talk a bit then about what it's like for people who are trying to claim asylum in the UK and and who's doing it. Which countries are people coming from in the main? The top countries are Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, Syria and Eritrea. Um, as these are 
unsafe countries for people. The asylum acceptance rates from those countries is over 80%. It's 98% Mm. for Afghans and Syrians. The government has actually got a sensible policy um, in the last couple of weeks, which is that people from five of those countries, it wants to just get their written submission and grant them asylum if it's a 98% case without them waiting six months, nine months, a year to have an interview. It's willing to grant asylum to those people on paper because they know that 90% of the cases are true. So there's a real dichotomy and a policy that says the people who've been in the backlog waiting 18 months from those countries, these are such valid claims, we should have them quickly. And then saying the people who arrive, we don't want to hear at all. We don't want to know if it's a fair claim or not. Where are people ending up once they've made a claim for asylum in the UK? There isn't very much detention. And when they do detain people, they've been detaining them and then releasing them on bail back into the community anyway. So lots of people are in hotel accommodation. That's a problem. That's not a safe place for people or families. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good for your skills. You're hanging around. You're not integrating into the local community. And there's anxiety as well, as as we've seen, and some dangerous protests and extreme actors very keen to stir that up. Yes. And we made an episode of Today in Focus just a few weeks ago about the violence that was brought about by the far right outside um, a hotel in Knowsley in Merseyside against people who were inside seeking asylum. What are the practical considerations the government will have to make in order to bring this to be a law? There's a possibility that they'll move very fast with this and really try to fast track it a lot. And, you know, they went absolutely at pace. Maybe they could get it on the statute book by this summer. I think there are pros and cons to that. It would make them look very busy and very active and very energised. But then they'd have these powers that they say will solve the problem. And there's a 95% chance that they won't. And then we'll be into the legal and court battles about what's going on. The gist of the government's hopes is to say, well, if you do it at all at any level, it will be such a deterrent that all of this will stop. And so it will solve it in itself without us having to deal with these practical issues. Their own analysis suggests that is not really what makes decisions. You're risking your life to come across the channel. A 5% chance of being deported to Rwanda isn't actually of the same magnitude. Coming up. Is it possible to fix the asylum system? Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day... What would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. 
It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Sunder, how popular does it seem this policy is with people across Britain? It's not popular. It's not as popular as the government would want. And it's not as unpopular as the critics of the government and maybe the editorial writers of the Guardian newspaper might hope either. Interesting. Um, and the reason for that is that these very tough control and let's really show people how tough we can be arguments, they do appeal, I think, to about a third of the public, these very compassionate arguments saying, why are we even going down this road? This isn't who we want to be. They really appeal to a third of the public too. So the government needs that firm but fair message that says tough controls, but there'll be safe routes too. You can't come illegally, but you can come legally. That strikes the middle if you've got a way to do that. But the Rwanda plan has never had a majority in favour of it in any poll, however spun or framed, but it's never had a majority against it either. And I think that's because control versus compassion is a stalemate because people don't want to have to choose. If you want control, you've got to be absolutely nasty or it's all compassion, but there's no system to deliver it. And Labour are having to step up and show that they would do something about what everybody recognises is a horrendous situation. What are they proposing as an alternative solution? I think there are dilemmas for Labour in working out what to do. Do they focus on the principled arguments or do they focus on the practicality arguments? And to some extent, I think they focus on the practicality arguments because a large share of the Labour vote is against some of this in principle, but the swing voters they care about are more interested in the practicalities. And so it's balancing those points. I think a lot of Labour's proposals are quite technocratic and I think are the sort of thing that Rishi Sunak, Robert Jenrick um, will be looking at, tries to do, i.e. have deeper cooperation with France. What would be a more comprehensive kind solution? Well, what Bishuch has talked about in having a control and compassion framework is firstly level with people that there's no magic solution and then look at all of the things that you can do. So it's not a magic solution to the boats crossing to say have 40,000 visas that people can claim. But if you targeted those on the nationalities of high concern and high acceptance rates, worked with our embassies and tried to get many of those in the first year into the hands of the sorts of people who are making the crossing, you'd have a much smaller problem with the trafficking and the crossing. And you'd also have made it practical to say to France, if we make this big offer to take quite a lot of people in a managed way, could you take the people back that don't fit that policy? That's the most likely way to solve it if you can get that negotiation. There's one really pragmatic policy that people should be able to agree on, which is there used to be voluntary returns advice in civic society from a charity, whereas if your claim had failed, you could ask a charity, what are my options? And that used to get 
quite a lot of voluntary turns and they're much cheaper to the taxpayer, they're much more humane to the person. But there used to be thousands of those. Those don't happen because the government took that in-house. And mm-hmm. so now if you're in that position, you have to phone up the Home Office and say, I think I might be outside the rules. Can you tell me my options? Nobody does that, of obviously. Not. So there's a very humane and soft thing to do. And there is a, a middle ground here, which is to say managing this better really matters. But managing it better means helping people rebuild life in Britain if they're genuine refugees and actually having effective but more humane ways to return people where it's safe that reflect the lessons of the Windrush scandal where we said we would see the face behind the case and so on. You know, the kinds of policies we're looking at today, which is blanket refusals to everybody and leave you in limbo as a deterrent, that's got nothing to do with the principles of the Windrush scandal that the Home Office said it was taking very seriously. There are schemes to bring refugees to the UK legally from Ukraine, from Hong Kong and Afghanistan. How well would you say they're working out? There's a real dichotomy in the British refugee debate at the moment because we've got this incredibly tough debate about the Rwanda scheme and the new bill. And then we've seen the most refugees ever in a year come from Ukraine, particularly the Hong Kong scheme. 150,000 people have come in two years. It's a very large group of people. It's going really well and it's got incredibly broad political support right across the spectrum for lots of different reasons. The Afghan scheme has not worked and it's mm. it's rather stalled because we weren't expecting it. It was an emergency evacuation of 20,000 people. We got the people out we could. We left some people behind and then we didn't really have the onward settlement plans. How long do you think you'll have to stay in the hotel for? Be staying for a year or over a year. Because, uh, you know, just first when we were brought to the hotel, we were told that we wouldn't be longer than four weeks. Living in the hotel is really difficult. Every second, every minute, really difficult. Whereas the Ukraine scheme innovated something. It got people to open up their own homes. And so 100,000 people brought Ukrainians in. Olena and Katerina arrived just a fortnight ago, escaping a life where their children had to hide in basements. It feels like home. They're completely happy, both of my kids. Uh, they're just playing, they visit school every day. We travel like uh, every week, so they're extremely happy. They feel safe here. If you look across those schemes, you, you see something fairly common sense and fairly obvious, which is that getting refugee policy right your status and security matters. So if you've come on a safe route, you can get on with things. Ukrainians came with the right to work, even claim benefits if they need to. Hong Kongers have got a good footing. With the Afghans, we dropped the ball on the really foundational things, which is that you need somewhere secure to stay. You need the English language. And if you get that right, we can start talking about how you get into work, how you do well at school, how you engage with civic society. So the Ukraine scheme will have challenges of sustainability. People have been allowed to come for three years so far. Hosts were there for six, 12 months in the first place. People might need new arrangements and so on. But it's been a really positive effort locally and nationally to get some of these schemes right. But the Afghan scheme hasn't had the attention energy that it needed to give people the warm welcome we promised. What everybody should be interested in, in policy, national government, local government, civic society, is how we join up these schemes. So we haven't got, you know, good welcoming policies for two nationalities and nothing at all for people fleeing a civil war we know less about. Um, And there's a real opportunity, actually. And Richard Harrington, the former refugees minister, was talking about this the other week. We could now develop a permanent scheme that conflicts to a crisis like Ukraine. So we're not inventing it on the hoof in a crisis. We need to think more, I think, creatively about where we could build good and new short term and longer term and 
permanent housing. Obviously, housing isn't just an issue for asylum seekers and refugees, but if we could get the planning and housing system better um, for these groups and for other people, that is now one of the big barriers on the UK wanting to do more and certainly for people at the liberal end of the debate wanting to say why don't we play a full role in the crises that affect the world we've got to show that we can handle it well when we do yes and uh, the uk government was obviously taken somewhat by surprise by the level of crisis that was caused in ukraine and people will be able to look at the example of that as you as you described working very well won't they and say well we should be able to do that for other crises as well Yes, and we, you know, we struggled for three weeks because we were using visas when other people weren't. But then there was unified public pressure, media pressure, political pressure. You absolutely had not just the Guardian, but the Daily Mail and Daily Express was full of people writing pieces saying, "I'm trying to get Ukrainians to come to Britain, and the government's too slow." And so it gave a broader number of people a sort of bit of a battle with the Home Office, and the government got on with it and made it happen. And there are eight million. Ukrainians have had to leave their country and 165,000 in Britain. So it's a tenth of what Poland has done. But it's actually the biggest group of refugees from one country to this country for a century, Mm. um, since the Belgians actually who came when the First World War broke out. And it's been incredibly popular. And the number of people who say we should have done less of that is, is absolutely tiny. So that I think tells us that it's not just the number, it's understanding the causes of why people have fled, but actually managing asylum and welcoming well can be very popular when we do it. So it's the visible lack of control and lack of grip, as well as the lack of compassion in the current policies that I think makes us unable to unlock what could, I think, be a consensus for managing asylum and doing integration properly. Sunday, is it possible, do you think, to fix the UK's asylum system? I think it's definitely possible to fix the asylum system. And I think there's a danger in just every government just saying it's really broken, it'll never be fixed. Because if, especially if you think that this country wants to uphold its seven decade tradition of protecting refugees, then I think we need the value of manageability, not the value of crisis and chaos. I think if you don't want to do any of this, then tell us about crises in the world and tell us to, you know, batten down the hatches and shut ourselves away. The fundamental thing you need is you need uh, an effective system to make decisions quickly when people arrive and you need to work out who can, who's going to come here safely and who isn't allowed to come here and what deals do you have with other countries because we've got sovereignty but so have other countries but I think we've got a model to get asylum and integration right if we can get a grip on that I think getting this balance of control and compassion is really important but at the moment everybody's angry with the government, because I think if you're a liberal person who believes in refugee protection, you really feel they're tearing something up we've always been part of. If you're someone who's very worried that governments don't manage the borders, then you're not really sure that all of this noise is bringing anything about. So I think it would help if all of us, including critics of the government, could lower the temperature a bit and start to talk about how control and compassion can go together rather than having a debate that in the end is all about the motives of other people. I think we've got to try and build this constructive centre ground that we actually want to be part of a refugee system in this country and we've got to manage it well. So I think it's dangerous to go into an election period with this level of debate. I think the public are looking for solutions, not just slogans. What's the safe route that Parliament could pass and the public would have confidence with? What's the arrangement of Britain and France? So I hope there'll be some reward for any of the politicians who start to take us in that direction. Sunder, thank you very much. Thanks. 
That was Sunder Katwala from British Future. I recommend having a look at the articles he's written about Sunak's asylum plan at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Ruth Abrahams and Sammy Gedge-Soiler. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producers were Hummer Khalili and Phil Maynard. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian. The Guardian.